Hello and welcome to the first episode of Dear Black Folks Podcast. Today I have with me a special guest, someone I've actually been knowing since childhood. She is here to share with us her journey through surviving sexual assault, successful navigation out of the revolving doors of the criminal justice system, years of substance abuse to earning multiple degrees and being registered with the state of California to work with underserved population of the community. So welcome today, Tyree. What's up, Tyree? Hey, how you doing? I'm fine, and yourself? I'm good, good. How you guys holding up over there? You know, we making it do what it do with this COVID stuff. Yeah. Doing the best we can. Getting used to Social distancing. <laughs> right. All right, so let's jump right into it. Um, let's start from the beginnings. Give us a brief, uh, you know, a little brief overview of your childhood. Um, so I was born in LA, uh, born in LA, uh, pretty much raised on the West side. I uh, went to middle school, uh, at pasture junior high. Um, you know, my parents, uh, separated when I was in middle school and then my mom and I, we transitioned and moved, you know, away from my dad. Yeah. So, and um, go ahead. So where, what area were you living in before the, your parents' divorce? Before the divorce, we lived like like South L.A., like Gage, Broadway, Gage and Broadway, that little intersection area. Okay. Yeah. And then when they divorced, you guys moved where? To the west side, Pico and Carmona. And that's yeah. pre- pretty much the where infamous. you were. The infamous. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where I met you when you... And that during that time, so that's pretty much where you stayed through school, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Through uh, middle school and high school, we we stayed on the west side, and then um, you know even into early adulthood, still. So for the better part of my life, I've you know lived in that area. Right. So when your parents divorced, uh, what was your relationship like with your parents prior to the divorce, and then after the divorce? Well, I always had a good relationship with my parents. Um, my dad was, you know, working class, went to work every day. Um, didn't talk a whole lot, you know, not real um, hands-on parenting, uh, but a really good man and um, a hard worker. And my mom, I had a good relationship with my mom. I was really close with her. Um, her parenting style was a bit unorthodox. Uh, especially for that time, but maybe not so much for that time because coming off of the tail ends of the 70s where everything was kind of like um, free-spirited, I think she fit, her parenting style fit right in to that type of, you know, that era. Okay. Yeah, so, so I what, had a good relationship with her though. So once the divorce happened, did, did that change at all? With, did your relationship change at all with either, either one of your parents? Um, well, because I didn't live with my dad, um, it didn't change really in the sense of how I felt about him, but I think that, um, I did have some feelings of maybe not understanding or resentment towards my mother for moving away from my dad. Like, why didn't they, you know, keep us together, right? Like, why didn't she decide to just keep us together and we moved? But, um, 
I don't think it had much bearing on on how I felt about either of them. Okay. Yeah. So at what age did you start having issues, um, you know, whether in school or with the law? I know you had some run-ins at an early age with, with the law. How did that all get started? Was it do you think it was a do you think it was a result of the divorce and you acting out? I think so. At, right now I, I can probably say that it did. I think that there was a lack of um a lack of accountability um that was required of me. Um and I just had a lot of freedom, you know. Um in middle school at the time, I don't think I resented having as much freedom as I did at all because I had fun you know I I kind of did what I wanted to do and you know within within reason you know I still had to be in the house when the street lights came on and go right home right after school for the most part but um I had a good I had a good childhood with regards to being able to have fun go to dances and stuff like that but you know I think for the most part, I was I was good until um, I met a friend and who, who taught me how to shoplift. <laughs> like, and the thing was back then, like I think uh, Sanrio Hello Kitty had just started back then. You know, all the colorful pens and pencils and stuff like that. And so um, she taught me how to she taught me how to shoplift. Took me over to Melrose. We rode the bus over to Melrose and. What I, I think from that day, I was off and running. What was age was that? Running. About 13. 13. 13, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Eighth grade. So so that went on for a while. Did you ever get caught when you were young from shoplifting? Did you guys ever get caught? Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I remember when, I think the first time we got caught was uh, the first year of high school, 10th grade. Um, there used to be an ore box on Fairfax and Wilshire, and um, we got caught in in the ore box. And they, you know, took us to the police station and <laughs> called our parents, you know, and our parents had to come get us. And I remember I got on punishment. You know what I mean? I had like the standard discipline for that. But I don't think that it was enough to deter me from doing it again because I, I know I did do it again. So that, yeah. that was going to be my next question. Did, did you stop? So obviously you answered that already. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't stop. I didn't stop. I think I just, um, and then, you know, there was a bunch of us and a lot of us were doing it. So um, it was, it was the ore box. And then there was another department store directly across the street. So we would just go from one to the other. And that was, you know, that was the thing that we were doing. Yeah. So, so in jun by junior high school, you were shoplifting, going into high school. So did that continue on through high school or did you move, gradually move up in high school to other things? No, you know what? Oddly enough, in high school, um, I, I stopped. We didn't really do anything as far as um, shoplifting and stuff like that in high school. I think it probably got a little harder. I don't know what stopped us, but um, we didn't really do anything in high school. I think um, the level of exposure to other, um, you know, adverse recreational activities got involved like exposure to gangs and stuff like that well we had already been exposed to gangs from junior high right. but it just got more 
we got more involved in high school. So shoplifting wasn't something that we were really into. Okay. So you get through high school. Um, how, how was your high school uh, years? High school was fun. High school was fun. Um, it was, again, a new level of freedom. Um, like... I, I think I was I think I was really troubled in high school, though, even though I did have a lot of fun. I was really troubled in high school. There were some things going on in the home life that, you know, I didn't talk about to people. If you were close to me, then you kind of knew. But if you weren't close to me, then you didn't really have an idea of what was going on at home with regards to my mom and, you know, her, you know, her uh, struggles with um, alcohol and things like that. And then I left from living with my mom and went back and lived with my dad during high school. So there was a lot of stuff going on in high school. And then again, there was no, um, there was no sense of accountability for me with regards to how I performed in high school, how well I did in my classes, what classes I took. Um, and in fact, there was an incident. We, we drank and smoke a lot in high school and really, um, well, I did. I know. I only went to the classes that I wanted to go to. I was that bold and brazen with how I, you know, carried myself. Um, but uh, there was an incident that um, landed me in like a drug program at school, in the high school. Like, I remember one day we ditched school. It was a rainy day and we were all out and went to a park and we were out drinking and smoking. And then we went back to the school. And um, I must have been super drunk and went to class. And then at some point I had to vomit. So I got up <laughs> and went to the bathroom to go and do go and vomit and ended up passing out in the bathroom. And someone found me there and um, they went and told the principal and then like whoever was coming, the administrators were coming to get whoever this kid is. It's in the bathroom, out of the bathroom. Well, I had got up somebody, one of our friends had got up and told me to come to the parking lot or the PE field or something. And they let me sit in somebody's car, one of our friend's car. And I just remember like one of the administrators knocking on the door, knocking on the window saying, Hey, wake up get out the car, come to the office, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And yeah. And so that, that was a big thing. Uh, they told me to come to the office, but I didn't. I walked, I was like, I can go by myself. I walked and I walked straight out the door and rode the bus home. Uh -huh. Drunk is all get out though. <laughs> right. It's horrible. But, um, I still ended up having to, you know, face the consequences of that because they knew who I was and the next day when I got to school, they, they put me in, they put me in the drug program or not drug program, but it was like a counseling session, uh, a group session with other kids who were having, you know, troubles in school with regards to, you know, substance use or whatever it was. Right. Yeah. And right. I hated it. <laughs> that was uh, Fairfax High School? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were, they were ahead of the game. Right. They were ahead of the game with that. Yeah. So you went on, so did you, um, you graduated? I did. Well, I graduated um, about six months after I was supposed to graduate. So when it was time for me to graduate and walk across the stage, I was actually about 22 and a half credits short. 
And I remember that number because it was the exact number, but I was like <laughs> 22 and a half. But, <laughs> but um, I, I enrolled in a um, continuation school, mm-hmm. Indian Springs. It was uni's, uni's continuation. I enrolled in there and did the, the homeschooling thing, right. which was basically nothing. But anyway, made up the 22 and a half credits and, you know, graduated then. Okay. So now that you're out of high school, um, what then? What what was life like after high school? <clears throat> life after high school. I, I mean, Mark, you know, we had fun. I can't. I can't think of a day from middle school to. Uh, we I did a lot of stuff that you know. It, I don't by any means want to make it sound like it was so fun or anything like that. But it was fun for us at the time because. We just were, we were young and we were living life and we didn't really want for anything. Like when I graduated from high school, I immediately, yeah, we graduated in June or I was supposed to graduate in June. By August, I had a new car, you know, a brand new car with convertible. So, you know, and I just, I think all of that really didn't help me a lot, you know. Uh, because I had everything and I wasn't doing anything really to earn it or deserve it. Right. right. Kind of like spoiled kids, mm-hmm. you know? So we were out of high school. I was out of high school and um, picked back up again with the shoplifting of my same group of friends. And then there were more of us. Mm-hmm. Um, it was almost like a little ring, like a little crime ring of shoplifters. And, you know, we went from city to city you know, tearing the stores up, you know, and returning merchandise and and getting money. But again, there we are with, you know, plenty of money. And all of us had new cars. All of us had new cars. And we were all pretty much in the same, in the same, you know, in the same group doing the same behaviors. Same group, same behaviors. Now we had, did have some other people that were friends that were, you know, more on the right, you know, on the right road. But, you know, we all intermingled together. So back then, yeah. y'all gang was you go shoplift and then go to another store, return it and get the cash for the stuff you stole, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I think what we were doing was we would probably take a day to just gather up a bunch of merchandise at different stores, right? And then the next day was, or the next two days or whenever you get ready, you go do your returns, store to store to store, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Did, did you ever get caught doing that? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, you know, uh, I can't even tell you how many times. I got caught a lot. I got caught a lot, but it never stopped me. And I think what didn't stop, why the reason it didn't stop me is because, um, the penalty back then was, you know, really like a slap on the wrist, especially for what I know the penalty, you know, advanced to, you know, for in years to come. But, um, yeah, I got caught a lot. I got caught a lot. (laughs) But, but on the other hand too, I was, I was always kind of torn. Like I was, doing my little shoplifting and I was smoking weed and drinking or whatever. Um, but not excessively with the drinking and smoking, maybe not, you know, 
like other people, but um, I still from time to time would enroll in community college and take a few classes and, you know, in between taking classes, you know, at the community college, I would be doing my shoplifting and whatever else. You know, we advanced to credit cards then too, you know. So talk about, about that a little 20. The credit card. How did you guys oh, get yeah. going in that? So the, the credit cards, the credit cards were, were more uh, lucrative. They made more money. And, you know, for the shoplifting, like we would have to get, do like five returns and wouldn't make nearly, or we would make half of what we would make in one credit card transaction, right? So, um, of course, those of us who could advance to the credit card, the credit card game where we were going in banks and, you know, doing cash advances and stuff like that with um, uh, hit cards. That's what they call them. Hit cards and a fake ID. (laughs) So what led to your your first, I know you said you got arrested a few different times, slaps on the wrist or whatever. Um, Explain when you first, that first time you got caught and you actually had to do some time. Um, that's interesting. I, I, well, I know for sure I went to the county jail. Um, it was Sybil Brand at the time. And I remember, um, I remember, I think I was a little scared the first time, but I think somebody told me like, don't be scared. Cause then they'll punk you if you're scared. And you know, we, I had that background from, you know, being gang affiliated and stuff. So I really wasn't like a punk. So if you tell me not to be scared and that'll keep people from messing with me, then that's what I'm going to do. Because I don't think there was really much to be afraid of. It was just like at that time, I think I saw it more of an inconvenience than a punishment, you know. So it it, it just wasn't enough of a deterrent for me until, um, you know, until I got until I ended up uh, with because I caught a few cases and sorry okay. <laughs> Siren going I caught a few cases and um until ended up getting one good long sentence of nine months and that that landed me in in jail for like I want to say a good four months yeah and that was like the longest time I had been there so let's talk about that time for a minute, because what made that time unique was you had just given birth to your first child at that time, right? Correct. Correct. So how was that? Yes. Yeah, so that was hard. Mm-hmm. That was like the hardest thing at that point that I had ever done. Um, so I had caught a case prior to, um, I think I, I think I had got pregnant after I had caught the case or somewhere around the same time. Mm-hmm. So I, I spent the majority of the pregnancy like fighting the fighting the, the case. And not to mention it was in 92. So you got the riots, you know, right there. I participated in the looting and the rioting. I didn't know I was pregnant at the time, but I was. And um, so I was doing that. And then, and then I was fighting the case that ended up getting me, you know, a nine month sentence. And, um, like right when I, 
right after I, I got sentenced before I gave birth and the judge allowed me to turn myself in after, you know, I gave birth. So I did. And it was hard is, you know, my friends, like I think all friends do who have friends that go to jail or whatever, they, you know, they get you good and good, good and high the night before you drink, <laughs> you smoke, <laughs> you drink, you smoke. And then they drive you to drop you off, you know, to turn yourself in. And um, that was tough. It was tough. It was really hard. I cried a lot. Um, my mom took care of my son while I was gone. Um, and, you know, as a new mom, that was my first kid. I, I had I, w- I was torn up about that. I was torn up about it. How, how long after you gave, gave birth did you have to turn yourself in? How long was it in between that time? It was either two or three weeks. Wow. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, wow. so he was a newborn. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So so you you spend that time, you sent it to nine months, you end up doing, like you said, about four? Yeah, something like that. Okay, so you get out, and what mind frame were you in at that time when you got, were you going back to that criminal activity or, or because of your son now you decided you wanted to try to get get it together? Yeah, I was done. I was done with it. I, you know, I, I love my son and my mindset was like this because I've been doing what I've been doing for a good while. And I knew that the idea that I kept getting caught was a clear indication that I wasn't supposed to be doing it because, you know, I knew plenty of people that never that just weren't getting caught. Mm-hmm. But I was one of the ones who constantly got caught. Um, so when, when I got out, I was like, I was done. I was done. I just decided I'm just going to take care of my son and, um, go back to school. And that's what I did. Yeah. So what kind you went back to school and what kind of work did you get into when you got out? I started working right away. I decided to go back to school. Um, and I went back and so I was a, a student at West LA college and, um, and then I was also taking another education uh, class um, that allowed me to get uh, licensed by the state of California to as an EMT. Mm-hmm. So um, once I got licensed with the state for, to do EMT, then I worked as a ambulance transporter. So basically driving the ambulance and um, doing transporting, picking up, dropping off, stuff like that. So I did that for a while. Yeah. Okay. So in the midst of doing that, you um, got accepted or enrolled in a program at UCLA that was part of that EMT program? Something Correct. Like so the next step after the EMT was to, um, to complete the paramedic training. And I was accepted into a um, extension program at UCLA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was, that was like, I was going along with the natural, you know, progression of that career. So you get out of jail, you go through the school, um, you start working as an EMT, you get uh, accepted into this program at UCLA to further that. And then mm-hmm. and to, uh, for all intents and purposes, you was doing pretty good, living a normal life, getting it together. Uh, up right. to that point. I was, right? yeah. Okay, so something happened before you can go, before you actually got started at UCLA, right? At that Right. ultimately kind of changed the whole course of your life. What happened? So my plans were derailed um, 
with an incident uh, involving a, a police officer um, I, where I was sexually assaulted. And um, the exact date was January 31st of 1996. And I remember the date because it really sticks out in my head. I, you know, it's just something I'll never forget. Um, it's not the incident, I think. I'd like to say it's not as significant as the date, but I don't know if I'm quite there yet. But I just, you know, the, the, the whole thing, the date is just stands out in my head. Um, Cause that's where everything really, really changed for me, you know, and I, it kind of changed the trajectory of my path um, for a good while where uh, I was with the, with the sexual assault came, um, you know, a, a rejection of uh, criminal charges for the police officer who did it. Um, and then a horrible deposition um, for the civil suit and then um, a suicide attempt after the deposition. Um, so let's, let's go over it a little bit, if you know my So you, you said it was by a police officer, so he just pulled you over on a, on a, on a regular traffic stop? Traffic stop, correct, yeah. And I mean, I didn't know at the time I was pretty young. And um, although I had had many encounters with the police, I think that um, the one thing that I wasn't really savvy about, well, the one rule that I didn't know then that I know now and I learned from that incident is, you know, if you ever get stopped by a police officer, where you stop is where you stop. You are never you are not obligated to move your car at all, unless you are in danger of being killed, hit and killed by a car, you're obstructing traffic or something like that, right? So um, I think that the idea that I didn't know that and he had me move my car and I did as I was asked is what really put me in harm's way with regards to that. This was, yeah. this was at nighttime? It was, yeah. Okay. It was a rainy night. Rainy night. Um, I think there was a lot going on at home. Um, I was out visiting friends in another city that I wasn't real familiar with. Um, but I was on my way home to, um, you know, to cook dinner for my son and and uh, for my dad and put my son to bed. Yeah. So when it happened, did you immediately call the police or... What happened after, right after? Well, I, I, um, I went home because in my mind at the time, the only thing I could think about really was I got to get home so I can cook dinner for them and they can go to bed. Right. So I still kept the same mindset of what my responsibility was, like what I was supposed to be doing. Um, but, and so I did that. I drove home, cooked dinner, you know, made sure everybody was, you know, squared away. And then, um, then I sat down to process what had happened and it, it wasn't good. It didn't look good. And, you know, I, I was really in disbelief, you know, and 
So I said, and, and by this time it was probably midnight and I'm sitting there and I've been crying and stuff like that. And so I called a, um, a rape hotline and, um, talked to somebody and they were asking me questions and, um, and I kept thinking in my head, like, who's going to, like, if I did tell the police, who will believe me? Right. How would they believe me? What, what proof would I have? And at some point I, I do remember, um, the, the person that I talked to at the rape hotline asked me if, you know, he had used a condom or anything like that. And he, and I remember that he did and he had tossed it in the trash dumpster, like right near the place where it happened. And so, um, in my mind, I was like, okay, if I don't have the proof, then it's just my word against his. And he's a police officer who would believe me person with, you know, multiple arrests and convictions and stuff like that. Right. So I knew that the, the condom was my only proof. So I got in my car in the middle of the night and, and drove out to, to the place where it happened. Scared. <laughs> I was terrified. But I did it, and I, I went by myself, too. Um, and I just uh, I went and got it and took it to the police station. That's yeah. interesting because when you, you told me the story before and, and you were saying how scared you were when you when you got there, um, you were scared he was still going to be out there somewhere. I was. <clears throat> and, um, and you parked your car like a block or so away from the, the, the scene. Exactly, um, yeah. And uh, but, but the... You ran there and you found it. You you went back to it was a trash dumpster, right? Mm-hmm. So it was, yeah. So I had, I had to jump in that trash dumpster, and because when I looked in to see if I could see it, there wasn't hardly anything in there. Mm-hmm. So the only because like if there were stuff in the trash, like you think like, oh, you're gonna have to dig through a bunch of trash and try and find it, you know. But it wasn't like that. The 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 trash can was empty. And so I jumped in and, um, you know, I bent down to look for it and sure enough found it really quickly. Cause of course there wasn't the, anything in there. And, um, I remember, um, thinking that when I stood up with this condom in my hand, he, you know, what if he's standing there? Right. And, um, that was, that was really scary. It was really scary. I remember that moment. And then, and then not just that, but the, how I felt as I was running to my car with this condom in a plastic Ziploc bag, trying to get back to my car, hoping that, you know, he wasn't somewhere driving or patrolling that, tra- right. patrolling that area. So you find the condom and where did you went to the police station with it right then? I did. I went, I, well, I, st- I stopped at the gas station cause my, my, uh, my car was on E and I remember, um, I didn't know that area. So I had to ask someone, um, where was the nearest police station and they directed me to it and I went right there. Yeah. So how did that go once, you know, did they believe you when you went in? Um, well, they, they believed, they asked me, did I have proof? That was the first thing they asked me. And I said, yep. And I just handed them, you know, slept that little plastic bag on the counter with that condom in it. Yeah. And then they, they didn't ask me anything else after that, except, you know, start taking me through the process of, you know, taking my statement, um, you know, and 
it was a long process because not only did they um, did they keep me for the statement, they actually had me identify him in the lineup because I gave them his name. So, of course, remember, you got to keep in mind, he was wearing his uniform. So he had his name on it. Right. So they were able to identify who it was and me by morning. But because I, by the time I made it to the police station, it was probably about 3 a.m. And by 8, 8 a.m., they had him wow. in the police station. It's, it's interesting and important um, to so, some of the things that you, you had told me with the story before that I've heard um, and seen stories of women that have been um, victims of sexual assault. And they mm-hmm. said, you know, the first thing they did was went home and took a shower because they felt dirty or whatever. But a lot of times they said, well, when you do that, that um, could wash away some of the evidence or something. And your story, you were saying how because you were so focused on getting home to take care of your son and your dad that you didn't even do that part of it, which kind of mm-hmm. was a good thing as far as the evidence because when they took you for the rape, you, you were able to... To, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, when I got home, I, I, I don't know, I think it's kind of weird or maybe it just says something about me and how I feel about, um, my responsibility to care for, you know, those I'm responsible for. Um, but I can't say that fully though. You know, I think in other situations it would say something different, but anyway, at that moment I didn't, um, I didn't shower. I cooked and fed everybody and put my son to bed. And then I sat down and then I started processing what had happened. And, you know, it was just, it was, it was very emotional time for me. And I don't know, but for whatever reason, I didn't think about showering. I just, the idea that that had just happened to me was really, really messing me up. And so I never, I never changed clothes. Um, Keep in mind, like, I, I don't, I think that um, maybe the fact that it was cold and I had layers of clothing on, um, and so I kept it on. I just, I never, I never took my clothes off, but um, it turned out to be to my benefit because when I went to the police station and after they took my statement, of course, they were asking me what was I wearing and I was like I'm I'm wearing it this is what I had on and um of course they took all of the clothing because that was the you know the other proof besides the condom right, right? so yeah. so you pick him out of the lineup they arrest him and all that and um was he convicted Criminal? no he wasn't he he was not convicted in um in the, they, they actually dropped the criminal case. Um, I think they said something about me not being credible, um, but which is ridiculous because I had everything that I had all the proof. Like, I didn't know him. Right. You know what I mean? Um, but they, they dropped the, the criminal case. And I remember talking to my dad about it before they had even um, called me in for the for the questioning, my dad was like, it's an election year and they, they're not going to want, you know, the negative press that will come with something like this. 
So um, when they decided to drop the criminal case, I, I, I want to say, I, well, I would like to have been surprised, but I wasn't. But the civil case did go through and he, he lost, lost his job. And he, he lost his job before he lost his job, although they didn't convict him criminally. They fired him, which is stupid right. because, like, you're going to fire him, but you won't convict him. Right. You know he's guilty, though. So yeah. So you so you won the they didn't convict him criminally, but you won the civil case. But because of that, it changed the course of your life and caused you to go in a, a totally different direction. Now, um, what happened? What 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 was it? The did you know? Um, while while everything was going on with regards to the the criminal case, um, I had been connected to a victim of victims of crime agency um, that had um, referred me to a um, to a counselor, a grief counselor, you know, to help me work through the feelings I was experiencing as a result of what had happened. And I did that a few times, but the other thing that I also did was I started uh, using substance, using cocaine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My phone. That's cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I started self-medicating and isolating and went into a horrible depression. Drug-induced, um, partially drug-induced, but um, the rest of it was... Um, depression from just, you know, everything that had happened with that incident. And I think a lot of unresolved issues as, you know, coming from childhood too. So at that point up to then you had just your son, right? Correct. So in the, in the process, how long was this, how long were you abusing the, uh, the substance abuse? How long did that last? So I, um, it was an eight-year run. Yeah, eight-year run. Smoking crack. Yeah. Wow. That's a long time. Yeah. And in the process, and in the process, I gave birth to uh, several children. Yeah, six to be exact. Wow. Well, five. Five. Five yeah. more. So you had a well, total of six? So, no. So for a total of six, but during that course, I gave birth to three. Okay. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And ultimately lost custody of them, lost them to the system. Um, well, lost two, two of them, three of them to the system. Yeah. Wow. Yep. So during that time, um, you, you lost them. Um, were you still in communication with all of your, your closer friends? Like how, how was that dynamics with, with your friendships and your family? Or were you just kind of just out on your own? I, I was isolated. You know, I, I was never homeless. I lived at home. I, I lived with my dad the entire time. Um, but I didn't, I didn't communicate with my friends really at all. Nobody saw me. I didn't want anybody to see me, you know, using drugs and stuff like that. Or they, everybody kind of knew, I think everybody knew. And I didn't want anybody to see me like that. But I did maintain um, communication with a couple of people, only a couple, you know, one of them rest in peace now. Um, and the other I'm still really close to. Yeah. So now you out there, you, you, you um, addicted to drugs. 
and then you have this money, this lump, uh, sum of money that you got from the um, the civil the settlement, right, the settlement. Mm-hmm. But you're um, on drugs now. So did did that money go through because of the addiction? Did you go through that money? Oh, that addiction? Uh, yeah, of course. Uh-huh. Like you know what I mean. I again, I wasn't I wasn't on the street. I was at home, but um, you know. <laughs> I still had to maintain my, my habit and, um, I wasn't, I wasn't in any condition to, you know, to try and go back to the lifestyle that I had been having with. And I said, I didn't want to do it anyway. Right. With the shoplifting and the credit cards and stuff like that. And, and, um, I sure wasn't even in a condition to go back to work. So I basically spent the majority of the time going, um, you know, going through the money, you know, blowing it on drugs. And th- during those times, were you in and out of jail again? During that eight-year run, were you in and out of jail? Oh my gosh, yes. Unfortunately, that was the other partner. Here it is again. Uh, you know, I said that before when it, with regards to the stuff, the other criminal activities I've been doing. I knew in my mind, like this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. I keep getting caught. If this was meant for me, I wouldn't keep getting caught. So again, with the drugs. I kept getting, you know, caught with drugs. Mm. And um, I want to say at least a three good times and, you know, send me to jail. I get out, back and use drugs again. So none yeah. of your none of your troubles during those eight years with the law was anything that you were doing so much to support the habit. It was just you was getting caught with the drug. Because, you know, you that. You have the stigma of people that were on crack and stuff of being, you know, they were stealing and they was, right. you know, selling their body and all this different stuff that would cause them yeah. to get in trouble. Your, your issues was not that. It was just, you was just getting caught with the drugs, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I never, um, I never had to um, resort to any, you know, stealing or anything or prostitution to, um, to satisfy my drug habit. I, I had money. Um, and, and that's what I was using. Um, I actually, I think I had one of the, one of the charges I got, I caught a case and they gave me a, um, what do they call it? Uh, possession with intent to sell. So I had a large quantity of drugs on me for this, that last case. And, um, but they all, all of it wasn't mine, you know, but. That was the charge I got. So, yeah. So you said during this time you lost custody of your kids. Can you remember when you first lost, you know, custody and, and how did that make you feel? Like, did it send you into more of a... It did. It made me spiral. And right after that is when I attempt, had uh, the attempt for suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had the, I had the unresolved... Um, issues with regards to the sexual assault. And then, you know, my, my son was taken away. You know, my oldest son was taken away. So when yeah. you, when you lost him, it was still just him. When yeah. You first, okay. So then yeah. the missing that mm-hmm. you had other kids and as you was having, they were taking them. Correct. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So it, it was, you know, um, I just, I wasn't ready I couldn't handle it. And then the, the worst thing about it was that I was really trying to do everything by myself. I wasn't utilizing any support systems because I had already isolated myself off from everybody. Mm-hmm. 
And and I couldn't bring myself to to go back and try and because I felt like they wouldn't understand and they wouldn't know how to help me anyway. That was my thought process. And um, and then as far as family, like, you know, um, my dad, he was older. He didn't know what to do. Nobody I knew knew anything about um, dealing with these systems. I don't come from a family that has ever been to jail. Right. Or has ever had any, you know, run in with uh, children and family services. You know, my family's pretty straight laced. It's small, but everybody's pretty straight laced, like never get in trouble, you know. So the things that I was experiencing were new. And there was nobody that I could talk to or I felt like there was nobody, at least not in my family, that I could talk to that could help me navigate you know, what I was experiencing. Right. It's yeah. interesting when you said, you know, that you that you self-isolated because me knowing the group of friends that you have, I know that that's a supportive group of ladies there. That, mm-hmm. you know, um, so, and I know, of course, once you finally got it together, they were there, you know, to support. Yeah, too. you know, and I still, even to this day, I think now where we are right now, I would feel differently. Um about what I know their ability to help me get through is. But even for then, I just, I just feel like that whole, no, I'm good, sweetheart. Thank you. Um, that the, the substance use, the sexual assault, we were too young. Right. We were so young. Yeah. Nobody knew what to do with that. Right. Nobody knew what to do. I didn't know what to do with it. Nobody knew what to do with that. Yeah. You know, you just ask a bunch of questions about what happened and and then like you kind of stuck. Right. Then what? You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And and I didn't want to do that. Right. I didn't want to do that. Yeah. So yeah. So at what point so you know, you at this point now you've lost all the kids, um, you've been in and out of jail. At what point was it you finally were like, This is it, I gotta get it together? Like what? what do you, um, was there a, a def, uh, like a one particular thing that happened that you was like, okay, this is it, or was it just a gradual thing? Like, what was that moment? Well, um, my dad was sick. He was on dialysis, and he would leave every morning. Really, his dialysis appointment was every morning. Well, not every morning, every other morning at like. 5 a.m. or something like that. So he would get ready and leave for his appointment at something like 4.30 to be there by 5 because it was close to where we live. Mm-hmm. And because I was using and I would be up, I would all he would I would always be up when he would leave, right? And I remember one particular morning he walked past me. I was in the living room and I could hear him moving around. So whenever I hear him moving around, I would kind of like whatever I was doing, I would kind of like try and hide stuff, you know, so he wouldn't actually see. He knew, but he I wouldn't let him see or whatever. But um, he walked past me one morning and um, it, and I looked at him and something said, he didn't look at me. And I looked at him as he passed me and I knew that he was going to pass. Mm-hmm. Something said to me that, you know, my dad is dying. He's going to pass. I had to get my get myself together, get my shit together mm-hmm. because I didn't want him. I didn't want him to worry about me. Um, and I didn't, and I didn't want to be, um, you know, on the streets like that. 
Okay. So, yeah. So what was your first steps? Um, it still took me a minute. I was resistant because I was like, you know, had in my mind um, that I really felt like nobody could really help me. I really did. And, it, and, and I was resistant to uh, drug treatment programs because I felt like they didn't really know. Like, unless you've lived, lived it and walked in my shoes, then you don't really know. Because you had and, been through a drug program a couple of times prior to this, right? Well, at least once, huh? No, I ended up with one of those drug charges. I ended up with this program called Prop 36, okay. where they sent me. And that was the first time I'd ever been. Okay. And um, and I, I went, but I didn't stay. And then I was kind of like on the run. Um and then I ended up um, getting caught by the police again. And then once they found out I was already part of that program, they released me to another program. Okay. Yeah. In that time, I, I stayed. You stayed. But I also found out I was pregnant, too. So I found out I was pregnant. And, um, you know, I was still in that drug program thing. Yeah. Okay. So that was the, that was the program that finally helped you get clean? You know what? My baby is what did it. I, I had already lost, you know, three kids to the system. And I was just determined that I couldn't take that type of, you know, grief and sadness and depression any anymore. Not again. Not another baby. And so, you know, and then coupled with the fact that my dad really was, he was, he was declining even more. Uh-huh. Um, so I had a lot of stuff that were motivating factors and then I was tired too. I really was. I was tired. Okay. So you had the baby. Um, did your dad pass? He, he oh, oh, did he pass during the time? Did, well, I guess what I want to say, he, did he live long enough to, to see and know that you had gotten clean? No, you know, when he passed, I was still in the, in the drug program, in the, um, like sober living setting. And I was still pregnant. I was um, maybe about a month before delivery. Okay. Yeah, but he passed. Okay. So, you, so your dad passed. You had your your um, baby, and now you're pretty much on the road to recover or being clean. You go back to school yeah. at some point, right? Yeah, I um, you know, I I finished the the drug program and and. Uh, moved out. And I think I, um, you know, I, I rented a room at one point for my daughter and myself. And then my next step, I got an apartment, um, which was my first apartment. Like I was like 30 something years old and I was having my first apartment, um, for, for me and my, me and my daughter. And, um, and then I got an apartment and then I got a job, you know, after that. Um, and then, a a couple of years later, so 2006, I got my first, well, it wasn't my first job. It was like, because um, I waitressed. I was like, I got a job. I'm going to go find a job. I remember I rode the bus and I was like, I'm going to get on and off the bus and fill out applications until somebody, somebody's going to hire me. And so I set out one day. I remember I didn't have a car either. So I, um, I took my daughter to school. I rode the bus to take her to school. And then I rode the bus back home and I changed my clothes into like some slacks and a dress shirt or something. 
And then I set out and I was like, okay, I'm going to ride this bus. I'm get on and off. I was like, I remember on cringe. I was like, I'm going to go ride down Crenshaw and get on and off the bus and just do applications until somebody's going to hire me. So there was a restaurant up the street from where I, where I live, La Louisiana. And I was like, let me just go in there. So there was a bus stop right there. Right. So I'm going there Over first. Hill and Sloss. And I'll get on. Yeah. And I was like, then I'll go get on the bus and ride down the Sloss, ride down the Crenshaw. And um, I went in La Louisiana and did an application, left there. I think I, yeah, I left there and, and then I got a call not an hour later for an interview for there. And I went back, I did the interview probably the next day and they hired me. So I, I had never waitressed before, ever. That was kind of cute. So, you know, that old guy, Ed, over there, he, he is, if you cute, he's going to hire you. <laughs> he's going to hire you. So I, I did that. And I actually, like, it was a, for me, it was a situation like, let me see if I can do this. I don't know if I can be a waitress. Let me try this. And I did it. And I was like, okay, I could, because it's a hustle. I didn't know it. But waitressing is a, it's a hustle. It's yeah. a real hustle type position. And, you know, that was my mindset. So they gave me a shift by myself. I was raking up all the money, <laughs> <laughs> tips and everything. And then um, I I decided that, you know, I didn't want to hustle because that's, that's what I came from, right? That's what I already knew how to do, but in a different way. And I was like, no, I don't really want to hustle like this. So. One day I just said, okay, I'm going to, this one you could still go through the newspaper and look for jobs right. and stuff. I had a newspaper and, and, um, I had a car too by that time, but, uh, I set out and, and went look for another job and got hired at another, another place, a, a, a real job, job, this one. And, um, a couple of, I worked there for couple of years and until I got pregnant with my sixth child and um and then um after I had her in 2000 so the economy tanked in 2008 and then 2009 is when I had her so I couldn't go back to my job because they you know had laid me off so to fill in the space, you know, in my resume, I was like, well, let me go back to school. So it won't be like, well, what have you been doing? So I decided to go back to school. And um, plus the financial aid, I figured, OK, to supplement my income. Right. So I went back to school. Um, and again, initially, it was just to make sure that there were no gaps in my resume. But when I saw that I had a lot of credits, I already had a lot of units from before. I was like, okay, well, let me just keep going with this, right? And see where this goes. Because I always wanted to finish. I said, let me go ahead and finish. Um, and yeah, so I got a, a AA degree. And then I got accepted to USC. And I was like, huh, okay. This could be something. <laughs> let me keep going. Um, but I didn't go to USC because I didn't want the debt. I went to uh, Cal State LA and got my undergrad in uh, social work. Okay. And while I was there, was looking around at master's programs because, you know, no matter what, I think we I've always had the mindset. And I think it's probably because of how we grew up. Like we want to we want to make money. We, we like nice things. 
And the only way to, to live the lifestyle really that you want is you have to make the money. Right. So um, I knew that, you know, for me, I had to, I had to have, you know, further my education and get the advanced degree. So where'd you get your master's in? Social work. Social work. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now, yeah. that you, now, now that you went back and got your degrees and everything, now it was time to get back in the, in the workforce. Um, how hard was it, especially in the more professional jobs now that you, you would be seeking with your degrees, how hard was it to get hired on with your record? Um, you know, it depending on where, who was doing the hiring, like I got uh, a position with uh, Department of Mental Health. That one was tough. You know, um, the vetting process was ridiculous. Um, not only did I have to answer for, you know, how bad I looked on paper, I had to do it in person. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was almost like, um, you look at my resume and you see where I've worked because again, I like I started working um, in my 30s, but the places the, the positions that I held were pretty good positions. And then I advanced to um, working at the community college um, while I was a student there. But the thing about it was I was always pretty good with words, right? So when it comes to a resume, you build, you could take, a, you know, your position as a housekeeper and turn it into something right. amazing, right? Yeah. So I would, you know, do what's necessary on the resume to build up, build the position up and out. But, um, you know, I, I just looked horrible on paper. I, I mean, with regards to criminal background. So any position that required a, a background check, I was always fearful, even with school, because there were internships that I had to do. And I would always be concerned that, um, you know, they're going to they're going to see my background and be like, Mm-mm, we ain't no, you know, <laughs> right off the bat, disqualify her, which was one of my concerns when I was, you know, when I was younger before it got really bad because remember I had all those arrests before and I was like, I've probably excluded myself from being able to be hired in any decent position. That's what I thought. But fast forward a good 15, 20 years later, criminal record is even worse. And, um, not only criminal record, but then substance, you know, drug, drug charges too. So, um, I went through a a vetting process with the state of California. Just now that was another concern and fear of mine too. Like, am I going to be able to be licensed in the state of California as a a therapist, right. To even, you know, do what I went to school for. Um, And that vetting process, (laughs) it was difficult. It was difficult. I, I, I I talked to, um, I utilize my support system a lot a lot throughout those times because I was so, you know, I, I had my concerns, but I always knew like, you know what, if God brought me through all of that and I give all the credit to God for bringing me through everything I've been through, I've been through, had some really dark, deep moments and, you know, experiences. And if not for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here today, you know? Um, and I knew that if he brought me through all of that and, and get me through school too, with my two kids, you know, 
then being licensed is something that he's going to let happen for me. And indeed. Yeah. I'm still working on it. I'm, I'm oh, okay. almost, you know, I'm done with all my hours right now. I just have to sit for licensing. So what kind yeah. of, so when, what, what have you been, what kind of work have you been doing though? You, you've been working in your field though with your degree though, right? I have, yeah. Okay. So I have worked with the homeless population doing rapid rehousing and uh, therapy. Um, I have worked um, in the hospitals where I currently work in the hospital. I'm an ER social worker. I'm also a, um, a hospital case manager where I manage the med search floor. Um, and I've also worked for Department of Mental Health um, as a psychiatric social worker. So um, all of those positions, you know, really required extensive background checks and their vetting processes is ridiculous. But you know, I, I just think that the one thing that kind of helped me is I've always, I always refused to um, to let my past be the determining factor of my future. Yeah. You know, right. yeah. So uh, you mentioned your two girls you that that's with you now. Were you able to um, find and um, establish a relationship with your kids that you lost in the system? I have. Yeah. So um, I, I reunited with my son probably a good 12, 13 years ago, my oldest son. And um, the other the other two, two of the other children, I um, I'm reunited with this year. Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah. So they've been visiting and we talk on the phone a lot. And yeah. It's good. Yeah. Life is good. It's coming full circle. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Um, have, I got two grandbabies. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got two grandbabies, two little boys, and my little one of them looks exactly like me as a kid, wow. as a baby. Yeah, wow. yeah, like my twin. So I, I wanted to. Um, the reason why I wanted to have you on the show is and. The first one particularly, because, you know, you and I have been talking about this for a couple of years when I decided I wanted to do some kind of platform. Um, I think it was important because with my show, I want to have, you know, stories of people who have made it, you know, went through some rough, difficult times and still made it through and just different either educational, inspirational things for people to get from from this platform. And. The reason why I wanted to have you is because your your story is one that that can inspire some people who have either gone through or, or currently maybe going through some of the things that you went through. Um, uh huh. But sorry about that. That's okay. Um, so I guess I want to say, like, what would your advice be to somebody that that's listening right now that um, that feeling like it's no hope because of their past. Um, don't talk. Don't believe it. It's not true. Like if God brings you through it, you, there's a future for you. You just have to make a decision to not go back to whatever, you know, whatever got you in the position you're in right now. Um, and just go for it. You can, it, it's possible. It's possible. The other thing I would say too is you gotta work through the the garbage. You gotta work through the trauma, 
um, the adversity, whatever it is that you've been experiencing in your life that has made you want to, you know, use drugs or do crime. Like I know people use um, their criminal records as a reason why they can't, you know, get on the straight and narrow. And, and it's just not true. It just isn't, but you have to make a decision and it's not easy. That's not to say that it's not to say that you're going to have money rolling in right away because that's not the way it works. There's a lot of sacrifice involved. Um, but I promise you one thing, your, your needs will be met. You may not be able to do all the things that you were able to do when you were getting fast money, you know, that good fast money that, that goes away just as fast. But um, if you stick to it and really believe in yourself and believe in God, you can get to, you'll get to the other side. You, you just got to be willing to sacrifice. You got to, and, and you will and find a support system, find people that are doing what you want to do, living the lifestyle you want to live. I'm not saying go hang out with your rich friends first, because <laughs> That's going to have you depressed. So find, <laughs> so find the people that are living, you know, a, a regular lifestyle that are your friends. Right. And, and hang out with them. Just, just don't, don't limit yourself based on, you know, the mistakes of your past. Cause you'll really sell yourself short. All right, I think we can close with that, Tyree. I really, really, really thank you for sharing your story. Um, I'm going to have you on some some more because there's some other topics that I would like to to have um, to talk about sometimes that would be in your profession. I, I want to do a show one um, about talking about mental health in the black community. Uh-huh. So I'm going to have you on several more times, I'm sure, but. Uh, but I okay. wanted to I wanted to start off with with your story because um, again I, I think it's going to inspire some people and just give some people who may not may feel like they don't have any hope right now to give them some hope. So Absolutely. Again, um, so thank you so much for sharing it. Um, you know you took us into some some very personal parts of your life and um, and I thank you for sharing it and uh, and proud of you and and and, and all the things that <laughs> you've accomplished. You. So again, thank you, and um, uh, again, we we'll, we we'll look forward to talking to you some more and having you on the show some more in the future. Okay, for sure. All thank right. you. All right, thanks. All right. Have take care. Bye. All right, bye. bye.